0: the month of February, we've been talking about heart attackers, uh, overcoming deadly assaults on our heart. The enemy knows that if he can assault your heart, if he can work his way into my heart, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that out of the heart, everybody say my heart, out of the heart flows all of the issues of life. Every relationship issue, Every school issue, every job issue, every financial issue, every issue of dysfunction in your life. The Bible says, don't throw anything at me, don't get mad at me. I'm not saying, I'm just reading his words. That it flows from our hearts. So if we can get our hearts right, everything can get right. But if the enemy can attack and assault our hearts... He knows that everything can go wrong. So we talked about the heart attacker of guilt, and and, and we talked about the heart attacker of wrath. And today we're going to talk about eliminating envy, eliminating envy envy. Would you just lift your voice and pray over this message with me? And not just pray. I I know the word of God is anointed. Would you pray over yourself? Would you pray over this message as it enters your ears and your mind and your heart? Would you pray that God would talk to you today all across this room? Help me pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your spirit. God, that you would talk to us today. God, that you would help us today. God, we want your help. We want your strength. God, we need you to speak to us this morning. God, we know that there are things that need to be done in this room that are not by might nor by power, but only by your Spirit, says the Lord. And God, I ask that you would speak to us today, help us today, and we want to serve you and know you more. In Jesus' name, and let everyone say amen. Amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. John was walking up the stairs one day, carrying a load of groceries for his wife, and uh, he got to the top of the stairs, and he got out of breath. He started panting and huffing a little bit, and he thought, well, that's a little odd. I've always been in pretty good shape, and I've always, you know, feel like I'm all right. Health, and the next week, the same thing. He, you know, like we men do, we see how many bags of groceries we can carry on our arm, right? Because nobody wants to make more than one trip from the car, so the Walmart bag is cutting off the circulation to your brain and your veins and your hand but but we're going to carry all 46 of those bags up the stairs right and so john is doing this and and, and he runs up the stairs again and he gets lightheaded and has to hold on to the wall and he, he, he's, he john is john is uh, he, he's struggling a little bit and so his wife and he, he both get concerned and they schedule an appointment for the doctor and they go See, the doctor and John's doctor runs a battery of tests. I mean, he's doing blood work and he's doing all kinds of tests. Some tests involve, you know, running on a treadmill for uh, three minutes, which, you know, gets some of us tired just thinking about that proposition Running on a treadmill and testing his heart rate before and after And the doctor dismisses him after about an hour and a half of tests And and schedules a, a consultation to go over the test results The next week to which John walks back in And the doctor's first words to him is John, your heart's in really rough shape, man Your heart is not doing good now, the dreaded words that any of us would want to hear from any doctor, that's probably among some of the most dreaded things we would want to hear. He says, Doc, how, how bad is it? He said, Well, your heart's in really bad shape. He said, You don't need heart surgery yet. He said, But you're right there on the verge of needing major surgery. You're getting close. Doctor, how, 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 <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have surgery. Fix it. (laughs) That's what I'd say, right? Do something. Give me, what, what do I do? How can I fix it? Doctor says, I'm glad you asked. And out of his little folder, he pulls out a one page document and he gives it to John. And, and he says, I want you to look over this page. And as John looks over the page, you know, he's thinking it's gonna be like, you know, what pills he's gonna take and what shots he's gonna get and all this stuff. And and he looks over the page and it looks like something he would have picked up at the local gym. It's a set of exercises. And it's prescribed to do these exercises. 45 minutes a day, three days a week and John reads through this and he looks he says, doc I, I think you gave me the wrong the wrong sheet uh, you know I, I want you to fix my heart. how do I fix my heart he says, John, that's it uh, Doc, you have on here that I'm supposed to run, jog, or walk at a vigorous pace for 35 of these minutes, uh, 30 to 35 of these minutes. He says, uh, Doc, I'm in here. I don't know if you remember, looked at the notes. I'm in here because I walked up the stairs. <laughs> you want me to run for 30 minutes? I went up the stairs, got lightheaded. Uh, Doc says, Yeah, I know. He, he, Doc says, Here's the deal. You try to do this, it's going to be really painful at first. It's, you know, you're going to get out of breath. He says, No, doc, I don't think you understand. Not only did I get out of breath, my head started hurting, my fingers started throbbing. Man, I started getting aches. And he said, I just walk around the store. I follow my wife around Walmart for 30 minutes and my knees are sore. You want me to run for 30 minutes? You want me to walk? There's just no way. This is impossible. And back and forth they go. And the doctor says, John, here's the deal. If you want to fix your heart, this is the way to fix your heart. Doc, no, 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 no. Maybe I should get a second opinion. John, you can get a second opinion if you want. But there's nothing we can do for your heart right now except this. Doc, there's got to be something you can do. I mean, can't you just give me something? I mean, isn't there just a magic pill that I can just take with my morning breakfast and boom, I'm like new again. Which, by the way, if anybody has any of those magic pills this morning, I'd be interested in, you know. In fact, probably a lot of us would be interested. You got this magic health pill? Yeah, you could probably make a lot of money here today. Uh <laughs> Isn't there something we can do? Doc says, John, I'm telling you, this is the way to fix your heart. John, there is no quick fix, there's no easy fix. Doc, this is painful just to read. I'm going to get out of breath. I'm going to be sore. He says, work your way up. Start walking. And if you can only walk for three minutes, walk for three minutes. But build yourself up. And as you do, you're going to make your heart healthy. And you may never even need surgery. And finally, John has had enough. And, and he, he, he he kind of throws his hands down, pushes the paper back on the, the table. And he says, "Doc." I'm sorry. He said, I want my heart fixed, but I am not doing this. The doc folded up his folder, walked out the door, said, John, you're a moron, and shut the door behind him. (laughs) Can I say moron? It's Kids Choir Sunday. Is that okay? You might have to interpret them. That's like from my generation. That's not really an insult they would use today. Now, How many of you ever had your doctor call you that before? No. (laughs) Nobody has. How many would admit your doctor probably should have called you that before? Now, I know I'm walking where angels fear to tread right now this morning. Say, Pastor, are you preaching about our health? No, no, no. (laughs) I'm not. If I'm preaching about our health, I realize I'd be preaching to about three people that would be left by the end of this sermon, right? That's not really fodder for uh, us here today. But this, this story that I told you about John This story of what happened to John, John left shaking his head sitting at that doctor's office. The doctor just called him a name and slammed the door on the way out. Illustrates how prone we are in the age that we live in to want quick, easy fixes for deep, significant problems. How prone we are to demand quick, easy fixes fixes. Everybody's looking for a magic pill or a magic jelly bean or a magic potion or a get rich quick scheme or something that is the silver bullet to solve all of the woes and issues in my life. We want this to happen real fast but the reality is that just as physical heart disease sets in over time spiritual heart disease also sets in over time. You don't get a spiritually unhealthy heart uh, just all of a sudden, all at once. Now, the Bible does say we're all born into sin. Every one of us was born a sinner. It doesn't matter what family you were raised in or what church you grew up going to. Every single one of us was born into sin. And it's only by the power and the grace of God that the heart problem that we're born with can be corrected, can be redirected, and can be pointed in the direction where it spends its life glorifying God and not self, living for him and not living for my own wants and wishes and and pleasures. But the reality is we live in a culture that looks for quick fixes. We look for miracle cures and, and quick fixes, but there's no quick fix for some of life's issues. How many know there's a bunch of stuff going on in our world right now that there is no quick fix for? There's no politician that's going to fix it. There's no political party that's going to fix it. There's no political platform that's going to fix it. It's not. You know why? Because what we're dealing with in America and what we're dealing with in Western society and what we're dealing with in the larger world right now is the outspring of a bunch of us people that are living with some seriously sick spiritual hearts. We are living with some hearts that have been assaulted by the enemy of our soul, and out of that heart flows all of the issues of life. And I know we'd rather just sing songs about a pure heart than actually do the work to get a pure heart, but singing a song isn't going to make your heart pure. Reciting a Bible verse isn't going to make your heart pure. In fact, I'm going to submit to you today that it takes a habit, a good habit, to break a bad habit. Well... I know maybe that's not not the deep theological revelation you came to church hoping for this morning, but, but sometimes we come to God praying for God to deliver us from something that he's not going to deliver us from because we got to get up and go home from church on Sunday and behave our way out of that problem. Huh? We got to live our... And he'll give you the help. He'll be your strength. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the assistance. But I'm telling you, for some of life's woes, there is no quick fix. you got to have a good habit, a holy habit, a godly habit to break a bad habit. Well, I I I can pray every day for a generous heart. But until I start the habit of generosity in my life, I'm never going to have a generous heart. I can pray every day for a pure heart, but until I start start forgiving those people that have done me wrong, I'm never going to have a pure heart. Until I practice the habit of actually forgiving somebody who did me bad, I'm never going to have the pure heart. I can pray till I'm blue in the face, but until I exercise that habit that's given to me in Scripture, oh, and I know what we say, I know what we say, well, that's just the way I am just my personality. All the women in my family are really dramatic. The men in my family are all known for their tempers. My whole family yells and calls names. Nobody in my family trusts people. We excuse our bad habits as personality traits. We're going to get deep in the weeds today on this last sermon of the series, okay? So just buckle up. We pray for God to change our lives, and we pray for God to change us uh, while we continue to make excuses for everything that needs fixing. Can I say it again? We pray for God to change us, uh, but then we turn around and excuse ourselves uh, every time we evidence the behavior that needs to be fixed. And I'm preaching today that the longer you neglect your heart, uh, the longer you neglect your heart, uh, the rougher shape your heart is going to get in. Uh, I have never met a physically fit person of which I am not. You say, Oh, Pastor, you know, you don't, you know, you look relatively skinny. I I am, but I am not physically fit. I am not in shape. I'm the I get out of breath going up those stairs. But you know, 2023, New Year's resolution still hanging on, still hanging on. We're trying to fix it in Jesus' name, with the help of God, amen. Y'all could act like you at least have some confidence or believe that I could do that. I've never met somebody that went through the work to go to the gym and eat right and get physically fit that got physically fit and said, man, I really regret getting in shape. I've never met somebody that went through the work of getting their spiritual heart right before God and fixing the broken relationships in their circle that said, you know what? It really wasn't worth it. I really wish I wouldn't have taken time to get my heart right at all. No. No. The longer you neglect it, though, the harder it is. See, we have this idea about happiness that, that, that we, we th- tend to think that happiness is something that just magically happens to some people and not others that there's a reason they're happy. And we we, we tend to think that happy people are just automatically more forgiving and more joyful and more generous people and, and more loving people. But typically, if you talk to that person that you think is really, really happy, they would tell you that those traits of forgiveness and generosity and love and all of those things that create happiness in a life, that those are traits that they have had to develop over the course of time. None of them can come automatic to all of us. None of them come automatic to any of us. The reality is every one of us have felt at one time or another that life wasn't fair. We've looked at something else or somebody else and said, that's not fair. And that, brothers and sisters, is where the enemy launches the heart attacker of envy into our soul. The heart attacker of envy or jealousy, James addresses it like this in James chapter 3. He says, but if you have bitter envying, everybody say "envying," envying, and strife in your hearts. He says, glory not and lie not against the truth. In other words, don't try to act like this is okay wisdom like this doesn't come from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. In other words, behaving that way with envy in your heart is not of God, it's of the enemy. And then he goes on to say in in chapter three and verse 16 in our text, he says, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion. Everybody say confusion. Confusion. And every evil work. That means where there is envy, when you see envy and quarreling on the surface of a life, James says, look below the surface and you will find the potential for every other evil work. Pastor, envy, jealousy, just because it's a sanctuary kids choir Sunday doesn't mean you're preaching to a bunch of kids. Isn't that something that just kids deal with? Envy, jealousy, jealousy. Now, as adults, we've just come up with some sophisticated filters to disguise our envy. We've, we've gotten over it. But I, I, I'm preaching to somebody here today, I'm preaching to a whole bunch of somebodies, that the will of God before the end of this service and sermon is that we're going to get brave enough to admit the reality of some of our heart conditions and, 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 and realize and recognize that there's a problem in my heart when I don't like somebody just because I perceive them as being ahead of me. (laughs) That there's an issue in my heart when I have this weird feeling that rises up against someone just because I perceive that they outpaced me. They got that big of a house? They got another new car? Boy, I wish I could go on a vacation like that. I wish, I mean, I wish I could afford to eat at restaurants and post it on Facebook all the time. I'll get where you're living. Give me time. I got about 14 minutes. I'm talking about the heart attacker of envy. Well, man, I don't know why God had to make me so short. (laughs) I don't know why God had to make me so tall. I wish I was as skinny as she was. I know, I know there's probably going to be a mass exodus. People are going to leave the church, resign their membership after that. I know it's going to be ugly. That's fine. Just just let me preach what the Lord gave me. I wish I had time to go to the gym every day like she does. I wish I had friends like they do. I wish I made the money that they made. But what I'm really saying is life isn't fair. This isn't fair. And the only way it would be fair is if I had more of what they have. If I got more of what he got. But the reality is having more would never resolve your problem. Having more would never resolve your issue. Uh, Because it's a heart issue. It's an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of the stuff on the outside. It's not a people issue. It's a heart issue. You think you have a problem with them, or you think you have a problem of a certain category of people, but but that's not your problem. The problem is that you've let the enemy assault your heart with this attacker called envy, and it's polluted how you see others and how you see the blessing in their life versus, as if it's a competition, the blessing in your life. And, and 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 really, the only thing that, that the only thing others can do to make you feel better is to give you what they have or to fail. But the reversal of fortune—if you all of a sudden were more fortunate than they were—that would only make you feel better for a moment. Because guess what? By tomorrow morning, you jump on Instagram and see somebody else that has something bigger and better than you. Can I tell you, comparison is a joy thief. My wife has said it over and over again. Comparison is a joy thief. Uh, I'm going to add to what she says. Comparison is a peace thief. Uh, when you start comparing yourself to somebody else, uh, what I have to what they have, where I went on vacation, where they went on vacation, what I drive, what I live in, uh, the job I have to the job they have, uh, you are setting yourself up uh, for a sick heart. Uh, you are setting yourself up Because the people that you are envious of, they are not your problem. Like the moon is not the source of light. It is just a reflection of the sun's light. The people that you're jealous of are not your problem. They are just a reflection of your problem. They're just a mirror to your problem. That's pretty immature. I mean, none of us really have an issue. None of us, you know, we're not, you know, we're all, you know, we're good, good. Come here, DJ. Come here, Sean. Come help me real quick. Come here, Elijah. On the front row, real Come here, real quick. Come help me. Come help me real quick. Which way? Yeah, that one will do. Come here. You guys line up right here. Just line up right here. Yeah. I love you guys very much, you know. Pastor loves you guys. I'm proud of you guys. You know, in today's world, your age, living for God, doing good. And, and I love you guys equally. I don't love I- any of you any more than I love the other one. I care about you. I want God's will for your life. I want the best for your life. I want God's purpose to be fulfilled in your life equally. So I'm going to give you some gifts because I love you, okay? I'm going to give you some gifts because I love you, okay? Um, Elijah? I, I, it broke, I'm sorry, but it's a candy cane left over from Christmas, okay? Good? Why are you laughing? I, I'm giving him a gift. Do you laugh on Christmas morning when you open your grandma's socks she bought you? I mean, come on. It's kind of rude. DJ, I love you too, so I'm going to give you a gift. It's a $10 Starbucks card, okay? you don't even know if you like Starbucks. I know why you're smiling, Why? You like Starbucks, and it's better than a broken candy cane. Yeah, Sean, I really love you too, so I'm going to give you a gift, and, and I love you guys equally. Don't prefer either one of you over the other one, so Sean, I'm gonna, but I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a $100 bill, okay? And all of those gifts are yours. You can take them. They're yours. You can go. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. What's your problem? What's the problem? You got a problem with DJ because he's just got a Starbucks card? You got a problem with Elijah because all he got was a broken candy? I mean, not even a whole candy and not even a full size candy. The dude got a mini candy cane. A mini broken candy cane is probably expired, but it's all sugar, so it's good. What's your problem? Oh, your problem's with me. Because I said I love them equally, but I distributed inequitable gifts. Because what I gave here wasn't equal to what I gave here and wasn't equal to what I gave here. And not only did I not give them equal gifts... I didn't even try to make it equal. And I'm not going to try to make it equal. And don't you try to make it equal. Teach them a good lesson in life that not everybody wins. No matter what Little League tells you, not everybody wins. Sorry, sorry I shouldn't have. That's what envy says. Envy says the giver of gifts owes me something. Because he gave him something that he didn't give me. Can I just help you today? The giver of gifts doesn't owe you anything. The giver of gifts doesn't owe me anything. The giver of gifts has already given me everything. I I, I I know we're human. I know we're fleshly and maybe this only hits two people here today. But I know we look at her and we say, man, God could have made me that skitty, or God could have made me that pretty or God could have given me a job like him or God could have given me a ministry like his or God could have given me a car like that or God could have given me a vacation like that or I wish I would have got that lucky in life or I wish I was married or I wish I wasn't divorced or I wish I wouldn't have battled this thing or I wish I wouldn't have had this and it would have been different and what envy is really saying is that God owes me something that he did not give me God is not fair my God I feel the Holy Ghost here today Envy is an arrow that we point at a brother or a sister, but the anger we really have is with God because they cannot make life equal and fair for you. Only God can, but God chose not to. Envy and jealousy is a problem with my creator, not with his created beings uh, that he's put around me. And envy is as old as the Bible. Cain was envious of Abel, and Rachel envied Leah, and the brothers envied Joseph, and Saul envied David, and Lucifer even envied God, and the chief priests envied Jesus. Even Disney hopped on the bandwagon, and Woody got jealous of Buzz. Have you ever got secret pleasure from watching somebody have a setback? Don't don't amen don't raise your hand don't just just think have you ever well, I thought mm, well you know I guess they can't win them all. What causes fights James Four says and quarrels among you don't they come? from your own desires that battle within you the things that cause envies and fight and quarrel that's what James says it's not their problem it's my problem it comes from within me and so my flesh has a remedy for envy and my flesh's remedy says I just need to get what I want and I just need to get what I deserve they got it and God's blessed them why can't I be happy like them? There's one single cause for all of my relational conflicts. There's one single cause for all of the external relational conflicts in my life that spill over sometimes on the people we love the most, uh, uh, sometimes on the people that are trying to help us. uh, Sometimes it's the people close to us that catch the flack. And the common denominator in all of my dysfunctional conflict uh, relationships uh, is my heart. My heart is the common denominator, and James says, it is the heart, it is my desires of the heart that is the driving force behind every single relational struggle. It's envy, it's jealousy. James clearly states that all of our external conflicts spring from our own internal conflict that James calls desires. That we desire things, James says, the problem is that I want something I don't have. Or I want something I can't get. Or I want something I think I deserve. That's what he said in James 4 two. He said you want something you don't get. And you kill and you covet. But you still cannot have what you want. Look at it. You quarrel and fight and you still don't have it. Because I don't get what I want. And you don't ask God. It's the source of every fight. It's like two third graders fighting over the Tonka truck. Mine, 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 mine. And the issue is not the Tonka truck. Parents, let me help you. The issue, if your child is having all kinds of fights at daycare, let me tell you what your daycare instructor might not have the courage to tell you. Okay? Okay. The issue was not the Tonka truck two days ago, and it's not the ring toss game today. The issue is that little Sally or little Johnny is struggling to learn that they can't always have what they want. Is that okay? And and, and we struggle to learn that. And some of you are laughing because you're like, I know, Pastor, we're trying to teach them. I know. But it's a lifelong lesson because we as adults are still learning that that the reality is I can't always get about what I want. Uh, He said your desires, you covet. In other words, you hotly pursue. You're trying to meet something. Think about it. Appetite is something that can never be fully satisfied. I'm going to finish preaching in a few minutes, and you know what? We're going to go have lunch. Everybody's going to eat some kind of lunch probably unless you're fasting. But that appetite will not be fully satisfied because you're going to be hungry in just a little bit right? You're going to be hungry again tonight. You're going to have a midnight snack going to go get some ice cream, some Captain Crunch, something, you know, before bed. And and, and and no, 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 not in 2023. We're doing better. We're working out. We're trying to be better. The devil is a liar. Somebody said they made me some dessert today. I said, no, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the devil's a liar. He, human beings are on unquenchable Searches. Do you realize your appetite of this world can never be fully satisfied? Because if you get, you're going to want more. Get a new car, guess what? It's not going to be new enough two years from now. Get a bigger house, somebody's going to have a better one. Get a better job, you're going to have a conflict with a co-worker there too. We're on this insatiable quench, unquenchable uh, 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 quest to quench an appetite for stuff for money, for recognition, for success, for progress, for happiness, for intimacy, for relationships, for marriage, for partnership, for friendship, for fun, that we won't be alone, that we have a sense of accomplishment, but we never get a love. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, appetites only grow through indulgence, not neglect. C.S. Lewis said, gluttons think just about about food just as much or more than starving people. Why? Because the more I feed an appetite, let me help somebody. If you're struggling with pornography today, you are not feeding that appetite. You are not quenching that thirst by, 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 by feeding that appetite. If you're struggling with sexual immorality, you will not quench that appetite appetite uh, by even getting married because what you have to teach yourself uh, is that I don't always get what I want Uh, and it's called self control it's called understanding that there's a God time and a God place for those things hello that's why marriage doesn't fix that Uh, the perfect relationship doesn't fix that Uh, why is there a conflict Uh, because I have never learned uh, that I can't always get what I want and I can't blame somebody else. You know what we do? We blame. Envy. I gotta hurry. Envy makes us blame other people. Well, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their. You know what blame is? Well, it's their fault that I'm miserable. It's their fault because they didn't include me. It's pastor's fault because he didn't promote me. It's their fault. You know what blame does? Blame is an admission that I cannot be happy without your cooperation. Can I say that again? Blame is an admission that I cannot be happy without your cooperation. That if you don't do what I want, I'll never be happy. If you don't give me what I want, I'll never be happy. If you don't act like I want you to act, I'll never be happy. And you know what people like that do? They suffocate the life out of people around them. And you know what's happening is I'm trying to suffocate. Come here, brother. brother. What we do with people like this is blame is I'm trying to, I'm trying to get him to make me happy. And I'm choking the life out of that relationship. And you know what? He's as messed up as I am. And he's choking the life out of this. And, and and you wonder why all your relationships suffocate. Because this is what we're doing. We're trying to get happiness out of each other. God didn't create them to make you happy. God didn't create your car or your house or give you your career to make you happy. Happiness only comes from one source. Joy only comes from one source. That's why First Peter says, Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. You, somebody clap your hands and lift your voice to the Lord. Come on, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. For just. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, casting all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. Can I have five more minutes, please? Give me five more minutes. We'll get out of here, I promise you. But there's, there's something the Lord wants us to get a hold of here today. He said in James, you ask and you do not receive, James 4, 3, because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you want on your own pleasures. He said... You know, the reality is, is that God loves me too much to give me everything I've ever asked for. God loves you too much to give you everything you want. Why do you deny some of your children's requests? Why do you not give them everything they want? At least I hope you don't. (laughs) Because everything they want would harm them. Everything they want would destroy them. They're just not smart enough to know it. And so the Bible says, as the heaven is higher than the earth, God says, so are my ways and my thoughts higher and better than your ways and your thoughts. God says, I can't give you what you want because what you want may ruin you. What you want may put you in a direction of life that I did not intend for you. Reality is we need to understand that God is not some Santa in the sky. He is not the source of everything I've wished for. He is the source of every good thing. The Bible says in James, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. He is the source of every good gift. He's not the source of every wished for gift. He's not my celestial vending machine. So I'm preaching to somebody today. You can keep living in envy and frustration by pursuing your appetites that are unholy and unhealthy or you can lay that heart attacker down and you say, I'm going to put my life in the hands of my heavenly father who knows what's best for me. I'm going to put my life. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody. I'm trying to help you in your relationships because envy and jealousy is dangerous. Envy and jealousy causes you to resent people and they don't even know why you resent them. Envy and jealousy causes you to have feelings for people. They don't even know why you're treating them that way. You have feelings against them because they have somehow in your mind pulled ahead of you in a race that they didn't even know they were running in. And yet we get these feelings built up in our mind. I'm telling you, the Lord's word is doing heart surgery. If somebody will open their heart to him today, God is trying to help us. You know, it's easier to deal with with wrath. It's easier to deal with anger because the excuses for anger sound much better than the excuses for envy. They hurt me. They talked about me. They maligned my reputation. It's easier to explain why I'm mad than to just say, I'm jealous. They have something i want and sometimes that envy sours our attitude towards entire groups of people we can't we can't stand healthy people skinny people or people of a certain skin color i'm afraid or we can't stand rich people or we can't stand ceos we can't stand leaders and we can't stand I can't stand stay at home moms or I can't stand career moms and I can't stand business owners and I can't stand pastors and what happens is is somewhere along the lines we have let our heart be soured toward an entire category of people that didn't even do anything wrong to us uh, so I'm preaching today it's a good day to take a heart check uh, and say who am I secretly resenting uh, who, who do I have some is there a category of people is there a group of people? Is there somebody that I feel like has kept me down? Is there somebody that is, oh, this is such a prevalent problem in our society. There's so many people walking around with a chip on their shoulder that someone has kept me down. Someone has disadvantaged me. Someone has left me out in the cold. Oh, I'm telling you, today's the day somebody needs to pour their heart out to God and say, God, I'm ready to break the heart attacker of envy in my life. I'm ready to Break the heart attacker of envy that's destroying my perception. You know the remedy for envy? God's remedy for envy? It's not the same. The flesh's remedy for envy is that you get even, that you get equal to them, or you get blessed as much as them. But God's remedy for envy is celebration. you got to choose to start celebrating some people that you've been looking down your nose at. you got to choose to start celebrating some people that you've been envious of. That's why Romans says, rejoice with those that rejoice uh, and weep. Mm, Man, where's that Kleenex box at? You know what we're good at? You know what we're real good at? When somebody has a setback, when somebody has a setback or a struggle in their life, when they fall, when they lose something, oh man. We'll weep with those that weep. That was, man, the Kleenex box. Oh, I oh I feel so bad. Oh, and, and sometimes it's meaningful. Weep, man, the Kleenex boxes are flying. And oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you you get lost that job. I'm so sorry that you don't have that nice house anymore. I'm so sorry that you got fat over the holidays. I'm so sorry that you don't fit in that dress no more. I'm so sorry. It's easy to weep when somebody's weeping. But can you rejoice when somebody's rejoicing? Can I come alongside a brother or a sister and say, I celebrate what God's doing in your life. I celebrate the blessing of God in your life. God's been good to you and I'm happy about it. God's been good to you. Oh, somebody ought to clap your hands right now. Somebody ought to clap your hands and say, I'm going to celebrate. I'm not just going to weep, but I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate when you have success. I'm going to weep. I promise you when you have a setback, I'll weep with you. But I also promise to you that as God blesses you, I'm going to celebrate you. I promise every member of this church, you'll have no bigger cheerleader than your pastor blowing the whistle and celebrating and partying with you. I want you to win. I want you to succeed. I want the blessing of God to be on your life and your career and your business and your marriage and your ministry. I want God's blessing on your life. we got to celebrate when they celebrate Celebrate. What does that mean? What does that mean? It Are you ready? You ready? That means if they look good, tell them. I mean, not in a creepy way. Okay. If they're married and they're the opposite sex, shut your mouth. I'm going to get off on family month stuff now. But if they're married and you're of the opposite sex, shut your mouth. Okay. But if they look good, tell them. Anthony you look dashing in that yellow shirt today <laughs> you're welcome if they did a good job tell them nobody ever died of too much compliments uh, but people have starved from the lack of affirmation I've had people tell me before, even when I was growing up starting to preach, well, I ain't going to compliment you because I don't want you to get big head. Let me tell you, from the day I preached my first message at 14 years old until to this day, there is nobody that is a worse critic in my life than me, than that right there. Let me tell you, nobody's going to die because you compliment them too much or you affirm them. But a lot of people are down and out and depressed for a lack of affirmation. If you like where they went on vacation, don't make some stupid remark. I'm sorry, kids are in here, Lord. I apologize. Don't make some silly remark. I wish I could go on vacation like that. Shut your mouth and celebrate them. Say, I'm glad you got to go there. You deserve it. If they get a new car, don't look at them and say, Man, I wish I could drive something that nice. No! Just say, Man, I'm so happy for you. That looks like a comfortable car. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you got it at a better price than you could have even hoped for. My, my, my. I'm telling you, you cannot think your way into a new way of behaving but you can behave your way into a new way of thinking. Let me say it again. You you cannot, you cannot think your way into a new behavior pattern, but you can behave your way into a new thinking pattern. So you got to celebrate. And you know, celebration comes from a heart of love. And the first of the commandments is love. That I have to love one another. And it's hard. Hear me, young people. It's hard to be critical of somebody that I love. In fact, it's impossible to tear somebody down that I truly love. Because love is the opposite of envy. Love doesn't care about competition. You know what, love? It's hard to love somebody that you're jealous of. It's hard to serve somebody that you're envious of. It's hard to submit to somebody that you feel like has something you deserve. But First Corinthians, Paul says, "Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't what what it doesn't have. Hear me. Love it doesn't want." What it doesn't have, that's not love. That's envy. That's flesh. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swollen head. It's not always thinking, me first, me first. Love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't fly off the handle. I'm in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't revel when others grovel, when they're weeping. Oh, poor little thing. about time they got theirs. No, that's not love. But what does love do? Love, it takes pleasure in the growth of truth. Love puts up with anything. Love always trusts God. Love always looks for the best in people. Love doesn't look back living in regret. Love keeps going to the end. That's the picture of love. God, give us a baptism of love. As we stand together, I pray. God, let competition die. Let competition die. Compete on the basketball court. Compete on the pickleball court. Compete in your chess game. But we are not in life competition with each other. You cannot effectively live in a body of Christ if you're in competition. You cannot. You cannot. And so Jonathan was the son of Saul and Jonathan says to David his friend, his best friend Jonathan says to him he says, David here's the deal, my father Saul will not lay a hand on you there was this whole story I don't have time to go into great depth in but Jonathan should have been the king of Israel Jonathan could have, should have been the king of Israel Come here, Matthew, run up here real quick. Matthew, Bailey, come here. Spencer, will you help me real quick? Come here, real quick. Run up here, you guys. Both of you, come up here. I mean, or or don't run, that's okay. Come on, no, I mean, come on. Matthew's having a hard time running right now, it's all right. Come here, y'all just stand. Just stand right there. I love you guys, glad you're here today. Jonathan and David. Hold that. That's a sword. I know it looks like an arrow, but it's a sword for the purpose of the message, okay? <laughs> they made a covenant. And Jonathan was supposed to be king over Israel. But he looked at David, and David was more qualified. And not only was David more qualified, David was anointed by God. And so Jonathan says to David in chapter 18 and verse 3 and 4, if they'll put it on the screen, Jonathan made a covenant covenant. With David in 1 Samuel 18 and 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David. And here's what he said. He said, because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan loved David. And so here's what he said in the next verse. He said, Jonathan took off the robe. Take off take off. That's that's your robe. I mean, you got you can't take it off? You take off a tie? Yeah, you take off a tie? Like you got a sleeveless shirt on or something? Okay. Man, at Christmas. All right. Seriously, Spencer, get you all the way up at the end of my message, and that's how it's going to (laughs) go? Crying out loud, man. No wonder God called him to be king. I'm telling you what. (laughs) A robe. I mean, if that's a sword, this is a robe. I forgot what I was preaching about. That was good stuff. Thanks, Spencer. And, And he gives him, you guys face each other. He gives him his robe. Give him his robe. And what he's saying is, all the blessing, that robe represented his blessing. He said, the blessing I have in my life is your blessing. My blessing is your blessing. Church, your blessing is my blessing. My blessing, is, what would happen if we could look brother to brother, sister to sister, and say, when you're happy and blessed, I'm happy and blessed. When God's good to you, God's good to me. And then he gives him his armor. I don't know what we're going to do with that. Like, I mean, like ar- that's not armor. I mean, dude, you're killing me, man. You're killing me here, a little. So that'll be your armor. Yeah. You really messed my message up, Spencer. He said. He said, "Here's my armor. I know I preach to our guests. I don't preach till eleven fifteen, like ever. Please come back next Sunday. I promise I'll preach a shorter message. Okay." He gives him his armor. That's what his protection is know what he's saying? When we're brothers, I don't need protection against you because I trust you. You're not going to hurt me. My defenses are not up. So, so if you ever want to hurt me, you can, but I'm giving you my defenses. And then he gives him his sword. He says, here's my sword. What does that mean? It means, David, if anybody ever stabs you in the back, it's not going to be me because I don't have a sword when it comes to you. If anybody ever attacks you, it ain't gonna be me because I don't have a sword against you. You're God's man and I affirm you and there's nothing that I'm holding against you. You know what else he gives him? He gives him his bow. He says his bow. You know what the sword is? The sword represents short range attacks that you stab somebody up close. A sword represents something that you do against them face to face. But you know what a bow represents? A bow is an attack that you can launch from far away. You can be around the table at Applebee's and launch an arrow. You hear me? You can be with your friends at the coffee shop and start talking bad about them, start running your gossiping lips. Oh yeah, that's what the bow represents. But you know what he says? Jonathan says to David, he says if anybody ever stabs you in the back, it won't be me. And if anybody ever slings an arrow that you didn't even see coming, it won't be me. I am defenseless against you. I have no weapons against you. I celebrate you. Thank you guys. I celebrate you. I am for you. I am on your side. You'll never get attacked from me. You'll never get criticized from me. You'll never get ridiculed from me. Oh, somebody lift up your hands to the Lord right now. My, my, my. I wonder what God could do at the Sanctuary Quad Cities. And I wonder what God could do in the surrounding area. If there would be a church that would make a commitment. Every guest, you're every guest, every friend, every every person in this room. I wonder what God could do. I wonder what epicenter of revival you know the revival at Ashbury that broke out? They were talking about love. Was it a kid's choir? There wasn't even a praise team like this. Just a simple little sermon about Love And I wonder what God could do in the QC region if somebody would say, I'm not in competition with you. I'm not fighting you, but I love you. I lay my weapons down. We're in this together. I wonder if somebody wants to step out of your seat right now and walk to the front of this building for a time of prayer and say, you know what? I want God to purify my mind. And I want God to purify my heart. I want God to refine my motives. Here's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting every family. I'm inviting every, every church member. I'm inviting every friend and guest that is here. If there's any part of this message that struck your heart, if there's any part of this message that hit home with you, I'm inviting you to step out of where you're at. And I'm inviting you to just get in, even into an aisle, just, just a place of decision, just a place of prayer, just a place of commitment. If you want to, get as close as you can in this altar. And I'm inviting you to bow your head. We're gonna pray a prayer, but you know what some of you need to do? Hear me. Young people, hear me. Young ladies, young men, hear me. You need to develop a habit of celebration. You know what'll kill competition? You know what'll destroy my club against their club? My group against. That's nonsense! That shouldn't be in the church. I can't have everybody in the church over to my house for dinner. That's not logical. But there shouldn't be anybody that I wouldn't eat dinner with. I can't be best friends with everybody but there should be nobody that I'm talking about there should be nobody that I'm running down there should be nobody that I'm gossiping about oh God I wonder what could happen if we would say competition is gonna die and rivalry and clan thinking is gonna die and we are gonna be the church one body of Christ every race every creed every color every background every social status every age demographic every social demographic, every political affiliation. We are the church of the living God. And we are bound together with love. We are bound together with unity. Come on, somebody lift up your voice all across this room right now. (laughs) Oh, because burden is so deep in my heart today. This burden is so deep in my heart today. Come on, somebody just lift up your voice. Somebody lift up your voice and begin to talk to Jesus right now in whatever way you know how. Somebody lift up your voice and just begin to cry out to the Lord whatever way you know how. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would purify my mind and you would purify my hearts. I pray that you would search my heart. Come on, everybody, everybody, everybody praying. Everybody seeking God. Come on, everybody praying. Everybody seeking God. We need a spirit of love to hit this place. We need competition to some people in this room, you have limited yourself because you have lived in a state of constant competition. You have lived in a state of constant rivalry and constant envy, and God cannot bless that. God cannot bless that. God cannot approve of that. Oh, but if we begin to love one another, if we begin to celebrate one another, if we begin to affirm one another. Come on all across this room. Forget about who's around you. Just somebody go to praying right now. Somebody just go to praying. If you're here and you've never been filled with the gift of the Spirit, you can receive it today. If you've never repented of your sins, you can be forgiven of every sin today. And all you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive you. You're here and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name. And this whole thing interests you. We've got water, we've got robes and changing rooms. You can go home in your dry clothes. I invite you to be baptized today in Jesus' name. But to everybody else in this room, I dare you. I wonder what God could release in this place. I wonder what God could release in this place. I wonder what God could release in this place if we just take the next few minutes and pray, God, let a spirit of love cover my mind. God, let a spirit of love drive out every envy, every jealousy, every rival. Let a spirit of love. God, let the habit of celebration, let the habit of celebration, let the habit of celebration overpower every spirit of rivalry. Yes, yes.